the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. So they have all the rules down, they know what God says, and they want you to do it, but they don't do it themselves. And the fact is, Jesus says, we need to obey God, so we need to do what God says, but don't listen to what these guys say in terms of their life, because they're not living, they're not practicing what they preach. So honor the content, but don't honor the conduct of their lives. He says there in verse 4, that they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders talking about the law. Again, they make it burdensome. They make it legalistic. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about hypocritical leadership. Now, following such leadership can be really frustrating. In hypocritical leadership, you have people who are telling you what you need to be doing, but they aren't demonstrating it themselves. These are the kinds of people who are probably well-versed in all of the rules and regulations. They lack a true relationship with God outside of their religious actions. We have to follow Jesus with truth and love. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 23 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Chapter 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm, what we commonly call, traditionally call Palm Sunday. It is Passover. It is the Passover feast here in Jerusalem. It'll be the last of three Passovers that we see in the Gospels Jesus celebrated. And knowing then that the Passover happens every year and that Jesus celebrates three in the course of the Gospels, it tells us that his public ministry lasted about three, three and a half years from about the age of 30 to about 33. And when he comes into Jerusalem for this last time here in chapter 21, one of the first things he does here is he drives out the money changers and overturns their tables when he goes into the temple area because he's so grieved by the way that God's people have turned God's house into just a a marketplace which was primarily intended to line the pockets of the high priest Annas. And it was considered the bazaar of Annas because he took advantage of the people, price gouging and and exchange rates and all this kind of stuff in order to make himself wealthy. Jesus comes in and he sees this. Instead of his house being a house of prayer and a house of praise, uh, it's turned into a house of merchandising. And so Jesus overturns the tables and he's angry. And there's a time to be uh, filled with righteous indignation, not anger that's out of control, but he's righteously indignant here. And uh, as, as a result, he's going to get questioned into chapter 21 about his authority. Who gave you authority to do these things? Jesus is then going to teach them three parables to help expose their own ignorance and to challenge them as religious leaders that they don't even have the authority to be questioning his authority. 
And then you get into chapter 22, and in chapter 22, he's going to be challenged by three groups of people, the, the scribes, uh, uh, sorry, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees, three different sects within Judaism who will try to test Jesus, they will try to discredit him, and they will ask him questions to try to trap him. And Jesus will, as he always does, brilliantly responds, perfectly responds, puts them in their place, and uh, makes them aware of the fact that uh, Jesus is, is all infinitely superior to, to their ridiculous questions. Now, now the tables are going to turn here into chapter 2030, because basically Jesus is saying to them, now it's my turn. Let, let me tell you about you, you religious leaders, some things to expose your own heart, your own ways, your own sin, your own evil. And what we're going to see here in chapter 23 is a, a series of what are called woes. Because every time Jesus begins a statement, he's going to begin here with woe. And it's W-O-E, and it just simply is uh, a, state, a word that is a term of rebuke and warning. A term of rebuke and warning. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, you have the first sermon that Jesus preaches is the Sermon on the Mount. And you have the Beatitudes. You have statements that begin with, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The last sermon that he delivers is this one. And this one is the opposite. Woe is the opposite of blessing. Now, these are, this is a harsh word of rebuke and warning to these religious leaders who are so arrogant. And they are unbelieving as to his uh, divinity as Messiah. And as part of his rebuke in these statements, these woe statements, he's going to call them out as hypocrites. Now, for those of you who like to take notes, you might want to take note of this, that Matthew mentions hypocrite, the word hypocrite or hypocrisy, more than all the other books of the Bible combined. He, he's going to talk about hypocrisy. In large part, he's quoting what Jesus says about hypocrites. And in fact, what we see here in chapter 23 is that half of Matthew's references to hypocrisy, seven out of 14 references occur right here in chapter 23. He makes several mentions about what hypocrisy is and who are hypocrites, and, and, but the most concentrated references to hypocrisy or hypocrites found right here in Matthew chapter 23 as Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his day, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees of, of his day. Now, because he uses this word so often, it's good for us to get a working definition. I think we know in practical terms what a hypocrite is, but just uh, for a biblical background, during the Greek period, uh, when you would see those masks that they would use in, in drama, you have uh, comedy and tragedy. You have the, the smiling mask and the frowning mask. Uh, play actors during the Greek times were called uh, hypocrites. And hypocrites just meant you're play acting and you'd use one of those masks. And a hypocrite is someone who is you know, hiding behind a mask. The real person is, is not really there. They're a hypocrite. But, but in a stricter sense, biblically speaking, the word hypocrite comes from two Greek words, hupo, krino. Hupo meaning under, and krino is a word meaning to judge. So in a, to, just to get a biblical working definition of what a hypocrite is, a hypocrite underjudges himself or herself compared to what he imposes on others. That is a, that's a stricter biblical definition than just the Greek play-acting, hypocrites. 
A hypocrite is one hupo under crino to judge, one who underjudges self compared to the way that they impose judgment on you, on another. And, and that's what makes for a hypocrite, one who underjudges self compared to what he or she imposes upon another person. And in that sense, uh, an individual is a hypocrite. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus rebukes them uh, for three things in particular. And the first one is just that. He rebukes them for their hypocrisy. Uh, they did not practice what they preached. He's even, Jesus is even going to use this phrase, as we'll see here in a minute. They didn't practice what they preached. That's hypocrisy. Another thing that we're going to see about these religious leaders of the day is that they made the law burdensome. That's legalism. And thirdly, what we're going to see throughout this 23rd chapter is that he addresses how they loved notoriety and honor. They craved it. And that was pride. So basically, what he's going to point out about them, and this is good for all of us to kind of put ourselves in the story here and see ourselves as to whether or not the Lord would challenge us in these areas as well. Is there hypocrisy in, in our lives? Is there legalism in our lives? Is there pride in our lives? Because these are the things that Jesus rebukes, and so this is a good refresher for all of us, uh, because all of us, if we would admit it, there's a little bit of hypocrisy, there's a little bit of legalism, there's a little bit of pride in all of us. And so Jesus is going to challenge this uh, with the religious leaders of his day. So we'll start here, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, so this is a learning moment for his disciples, but he's directing this not really at them, except in terms of learn from the warning. He's addressing this to the religious leaders of his day. And it says that in verse 2, the teachers of the law, those would be scribes, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And he's talking to the crowds. He says, look, these, these religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they've been given some authority. However, their authority has been misused and their conduct is not to be imitated. They have right content but they don't have right conduct. They, they know what God says. The content is true, and so therefore you have to obey the content. But he says, don't do what they do. Don't obey and follow their conduct. Because why? They don't practice what they preach. So they have all the rules down. They know what God says, and they want you to do it, but they don't do it themselves. And the fact is, Jesus says, we need to obey God, so we need to do what God says, but don't listen to what these guys say in terms of their life because they're not living, they're not practicing what they preach. So honor the content, but don't honor the conduct of their lives. He says there in verse 4 that they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. I'm talking about the law. Again, they make it burdensome. They make it legalistic. That the commands of God are intended to be just this heavy weight. And uh, that's unfortunate, he says here. They, they, they tie it up like it's a burden on your shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Verse 5, he says, everything they do is done for men to see. And that's part of this notoriety. Oh, I want to be honored. I want to be noticed. 
Now, it's okay if someone chooses to honor you. It's okay if someone chooses to notice you or recognize you or pay respect to you or tribute to you. But, but are you craving it? Are you wanting it? Are you desiring it? Do you need it? Is there some hole in your heart where you're just craving this and needing it? And the Pharisees had this. They just needed to be noticed. And everything Jesus says they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries, rest of verse 5, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, let's talk about what these are. A phylactery, here's a picture actually of a Roman, uh, sorry, a Roman soldier, <laughs> an Israeli soldier uh, who is uh, praying at the Western Wall. And uh, you'll notice that tied to his forehead is a small box. That's a phylactery. And within these boxes, they're usually a, a, a small leather box, uh, are different scripture verses, primarily out of the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, it is taken, they take this very literally out of the book of Deuteronomy, where God says about binding his words uh, upon your your heart and your mind, and so they literally bind, and so you see the leather straps binding on his left arm, and the phylactery is then tied and bound to his forehead, and you see many Jews today when you, when you go to Israel, or Jews who worship anywhere who are at least Orthodox Jews, um, they will tie phylacteries on their head like this. And what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees, they wanted to be so known for their righteousness that they thought the bigger the box, the more spiritual. So, you know, try to imagine some of them carrying around like a bread box on the front of their head, like, hey, I got a few verses I'm memorizing. Everybody see that? And Jesus says they, they love their phylacteries to be, to be nice and wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, the, the tassels on the garment were reminders to pray. And Instead of having just regular-sized tassels, these Pharisees would love to have long tassels. See how long I pray? See how spiritual I am? By my tassels and this big bread box I got hanging on my forehead. And, and Jesus is rebuking them for this. Oh, they love this. Oh, how they love the attention. Verse 6, they love also the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. Oh, they love the titles. Please call me rabbi. Now look, there's nothing wrong again out of honor. Keep reading because Jesus is going to put this in context. He says in verse 8, But you, now he's turning to the crowds instead of just rebuking for the moment. He says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. And then he goes on talking about how the greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So he frames the context, Jesus does, of saying that, listen... By themselves, there's nothing wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with calling a, a teacher, hey, teacher. It's, but the idea is, 
that if you are looking for titles for self-exaltation, then you are placing yourself in greater honor than God. And that's why every single time Jesus compares, he says, you're not to call yourself rabbi because you have one master, capital M. He says, don't call yourself a father because you have one father in heaven. Don't take on the title teacher because you have the greatest teacher, and that is Christ. So he talks about master, father, Christ, master, father, Christ. Don't assume for yourself honor and self-exaltation in honor of self over honoring God. Again, everything Jesus says not to be taken out of context or to the extreme. Having said that, some people will ask me from time to time, you know, should I call you Pastor Gary? You know, should I call you Reverend? Please don't call me Reverend. All right. Please don't call me Reverend. I don't really mind. I mean, if you don't need to call me pastor, really, bishop will be fine. Uh, I just, you know, uh, anyway, uh, whatever. But seriously, it, the titles are no big deal. They're no big deal. And the people who make them a big deal, just call me Gary. Just, hey, you, just, you know, G-man, yo, Diddy. I mean, I don't really care. But, but just the idea of the titles is what these guys were seeking. Because why? They wanted to be honored. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted the place of honor. They wanted the titles of honor. And Jesus puts it in context. He says, now listen, you're going to have to be humble about this. He says, verse 11, and this is this, is this great uh, you know, oxymoron in our, in our culture because we, we think of greatness coming from uh, asserting ourselves. And he says greatness comes from leastness. In the kingdom, verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, we define in our world greatness by the number of people who serve us. But in the kingdom, Jesus says greatness is defined by the number of people you serve. That's what he says. And James even tells us this in James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is, this is hard sometimes for us to get our minds around, but uh, because we're so trained to put self first and our selfish, sinful nature always wants to put self first and exalt self. But Jesus says here, the greatest among you will be your servant, that we have to humble ourselves. And we have to put others first, and we have to consider ourselves last. And then God does his good work. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many of you wrestle with, with pride, but uh, it's a real thing. How many of you would say, you know what, I just really finally feel like I'm, I'm a humble person. Let me just see your hands. All right, it was a trick question. All right. Because if you raised your hand, then you're not. And, uh, and so Jesus is challenging us, you know, don't exalt yourself. Uh, let the Lord do that. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus defines uh, humility here by our own servant heart and not to the degree that we, um, we love the praise and we love the attention and we love the accolades. So, uh, and, and all of our flesh it could get into that. So we have to guard our hearts there. Well, Jesus goes on to say here, um, actually, no, I got a slide for this. Uh, when people talk about humility, there are three types of humility. Uh, there's genuine humility, there's false humility, and then there is insecurity. How can you tell the difference? So let's say that someone comes up to you and says, hey, there's a great opportunity to um, go feed the homeless. We are, we're going to feed hot dogs to the homeless. Will you come feed hot dogs to the homeless? 
And genuine humility says, I will serve to benefit others. I will serve to benefit others. False humility says, I will serve so others will notice what a servant I am. See, it depends what your motivation is. If your motivation is, I'm just going to do this because I want to help others, there's no self-interest in it, then that's genuine humility. If, on the other hand, you say, I'm going to do this because I want everybody to notice what kind of a servant I am. No, you're the hot dog then. Do you know what I'm saying? But then how can you tell the difference between all of that and insecurity? Well, insecurity says, I will serve because I'm afraid what people will think if I don't. And that's not a good motivation either. That's not a good reason to do it either. It has to be because it's something that God honestly wants you to do and, and uh, how he wants you to serve and help. And so genuine humility comes because you believe this is God honoring and it will help other people. Don't do it because you expect to get something out of it or you're afraid of what other people will think if you don't. The latter two don't honor God. Only the genuine humility does. Then he goes on here in verse uh, 13. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In other words, their tradition and their lack of belief uh, become uh, uh, an obstacle to other people believing. He says in verse 15, here's another woe statement. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Now, I don't know if Jesus was raising his voice when he's saying this. I have to think that he's probably projecting a little bit, okay? I can't imagine he's sitting there saying, you know what, you, you go a great distance, travel over land and sea to get people, and then you get them saved, and you make them twice the son of hell as you are. I'm thinking we're probably seeing his veins a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I think we're seeing his veins just a little bit. Of course, it's all relative, right, whether Jesus was actually raising his voice or not. Every husband knows what I'm talking about. Amen? All the, all the guys in the house like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Because if your wife, has, you ever, has your wife ever said to you, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. No, you're raising your voice. You're kind of using a tone I don't, I don't appreciate. Seriously? All right, let me show you the, the tone. All right, let me show you what a real yell is. Okay, how many guys have ever done that? Come on, let me just see your hands. All right, I've done it. I've done it. I have to admit. Terry said, you know what? You sound like you're projecting. Are you projecting? No, this is projecting, okay? I don't know if Jesus was projecting. I don't know what his tone was. The Bible doesn't talk about tone here. But I have to believe he's fired up. Because when you look at the different things that he calls these people, he calls them right there sons of hell. He's going to call them in a little bit blind guides. He's going to call them in another uh, verse blind fools. Further down, blind men. Later on, verse 33, you snakes and you brood of vipers. Okay? I don't think he's Jesus meek and mild. I think he's Jesus fired up. And when he's talking here, he's calling them sons of hell because he says, look, you go to great lengths to win converts, but then when you win them over, you impose upon them such heavy burden of the law that you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. You're not leading them on the right path. You're leading them down a path of destruction. You're not leading them towards a relationship with God. You're leading them towards a bunch of rules and regulations. The rules, the regulations, the laws of God were intended to shine upon a man's heart, a woman's heart, their desperate need for a savior. The law, Paul says, was put into effect to lead us to Christ. 
The problem Jesus has with the religious leaders of his day was they looked at the law and instead of the law convicting them and making them aware of their need for the Savior and then their eyes opening to see and embrace Jesus, they instead got self-righteous by simply obeying the law and saying, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. And Jesus says, no, you can't. In fact, you're a hypocrite thinking that you can. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give his life to pay for the sins of every person. That includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know